Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends. Welcome to another edition of the Bleed Los Podcast. The Bleed Los Podcast is brought to you in part by BleedLos.com. It sounds just like the name of this podcast, Bleed Los, but it's a uh, an apparel company that is ran by a Dodger fan just like you. If you're coming here to listen to this, I assume you're a Dodger fan. And uh, they have some uh, some outstanding Dodgers merchandise. Remember when Joe Kelly uh, tried to throw hands with the Houston Astros, kind of? Well, the Joe Kelly Fight Club shirt, which is an exclusive from Bleed Los. The, uh, the Los Angeles versus the World moniker, hat and shirt. Guess where it comes from? Bleed Los. You can also get yourself some Julio Diaz stuff, some Mookie Betts stuff, some Max Muncy stuff, even uh, the occasional Lake Show item here or there. But BleedLos.com. If uh, you go to their website, which again is BleedLos.com, add your stuff to your cart, and upon checkout, enter the code BleedLosPod, and you'll save 10% on your entire purchase. Terms and conditions do apply. Please see their website for more details. Big thanks to BleedLos.com. And our good friends, Foco. Foco have given us a unique website that, uh, I'm sorry, a unique link that is on our description for this podcast. Click on that link. It'll take you to their website. Add whatever items you want to your cart, and it'll give you a discount for being a listener to this here podcast by using that unique link in the description for the podcast. Again, huge thanks to Foco. Uh, check out all their bobbleheads. They make quality stuff, quality merchandise, hats, shirts, moccasins, bobbleheads, everything. Anything you can think of for your fandom, they probably have it. I currently have an Anthony Fauci uh, Nationals bobblehead sitting on my desk, and it's a quality bobblehead. Highly recommend them. Check them out. If you like the knickknacks like I do, good way to go about it. And once again, we thank you for being a, a, a loyal listener. Please subscribe. Give us some good ratings, all that fun stuff. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But in the meantime, here's another episode of the Bleed Loss Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to a new, uh, another episode, I should say, of the Bleed Los podcast. It's your boys, Alonso y Juan. You might have heard some music at the beginning of this, and uh, that's our uh, our production got a little better, so we're not roughing it as hard as a uh, as hard as it sounded before. But my uh, my good friend Travis Couch of Scary Pool Party threw that together for us. I feel like it's the '80s vibe that we deserve for this podcast uh, because I like the '80s. I was born in the '80s. Uh, I know Juan and, and Roger were not, but I know that they like the eighties. So it feels like it, I feel like it's a good fit. What do you guys think? I love the eighties, man. Synthesizer for Vida. For Vida. <laughs> for Vida. What do you think, Roger? Love the eighties. Did you ever watch those friends episodes of the eighties? Love them. Uh, I don't like friends. Hot take. <laughs> My wife gives me a lot of, a lot of shit about that because I don't like friends. And then I like Seinfeld. So she gives me a lot of shit about that. So it's a, it's never a win-win. 
Look, another reason why the 80s are so great, because it was the greatest era of WWF wrestling. I'm not going to go with this WWE thing. I think it should be put out in the open here that we are wrestling fans. So we will be making references that I hope you wrestling fans will get. Like for those of you who don't know, uh, Roger has a new nickname now. He is Babyface Roger. So he will, we will reference him as Babyface occasionally on this podcast. I thought it was HBK. I feel like he, I feel like he's like early '90s HBK. That's just me. Uh, I mean, he he carries the gimmick well, in part because he's digging and reaching for old things. So I mean, that's why it feels like it just lines up just great. You can't give yourself a nickname. You know that, right? It's someone has to give it to you. So you are Babyface Roger yeah. until uh, otherwise. Yeah, isn't that weird that people give themselves like nicknames? Like I've never understood that. Like, what? Who? You are not the authority on calling yourself something. Yeah, you can't do that. You no. you cannot give yourself your 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 own nickname. A nickname has to be bestowed upon you. You are then baptized as that person. Let me give you the perfect example of that. When I worked in baseball, uh, one of the the um, GM folk uh, that worked in that office for then Bill Stoneman thought my name was Alfonso for like three years. So he called me Fonzie forever And that nickname stuck Because as I came up, you know, through the thing Everyone just called me Fonzie What no one realizes, even to this day When I send like a friend request to someone that I used to work with Or they like see me on like people you might know On Facebook and stuff like that From back in those times They're like, yo, this entire time I thought your name was Alfonso So no, 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 it, it never was This is my real name But Fonzie always sticks with you I, I mean, I didn't like it, but that's the name that stuck with me. It was Fonzie. That's how it goes. I don't think that should count as a nickname, though. Why? Because the guy didn't even know you're, he didn't give, give it right, you know? I think a nickname should be bestowed because you either have some sort of specific trait or you do something, you know, and then that's why they gloss you that way. So, you know, that I'll, I'll give you, like, a perfect example. There, there was a guy that... Uh, he didn't graduate, uh, you know, from college. He fell one unit short. So we just started messing with him and we referred to him as the graduate. So now whenever anybody talks, you know, about him, we just go, hey, ask the graduate over there. So that's a fantastic name. Those those are nicknames, right? If someone gets your name wrong and then all of it, no, I I, I do not, I I reject that theory. It happened. That's, That's how it goes down though. So speaking true. speaking of great nicknames, I got one. What? Rojo Chingon. And, and uh, who is Rojo and, Chingon, Roger? And, and he's back with the Dodgers. So the, Justin the only Turner. Reason, so it, a par par on brand with the gimmick. The only reason you wanted to bring it up is to elevate your name, right? Well, not only that, but where there's a there's a shirt that I saw that said Rojo Chingon. Hey, babyface, where can I get a shirt like that? I'm glad you asked. You get that at bleedlos.com. Bleedlos.com. See, that's what we call in the business of transition right there. I set him up and then he hit it out of the park. Except he wouldn't do that in real life. I'm just going to just take my shot where I can. <laughs> it wouldn't happen in real life. But Mr. Turner signed uh, an extension. Uh, so it sounds like it's uh, it's for the, with the Dodgers, of course, for two years. At uh, $34 million with a, uh, a team option for the third year at $14 million. Also includes an $8 million signing bonus, but it has some built-in escalators that we haven't heard about yet that could raise the overall value of the deal to $52 million over three years. I guess some of it's based on uh, 
MVP voting and stuff like that, but they, they haven't officially announced it yet anyway. But nonetheless, he tweeted it out that he's coming back. I know Roger's happy. So, Roger, I'll let you talk for a minute to, to boost the gimmick. Um, I mean, I just recall someone saying this time next week, um, you know, Justin Turner would be back in the blue, and that's pretty much it, you know? And that was Bob Nightingale who said that. <laughs> that's uh, that's think, Roger getting a point. Uh, he's got one on the scoreboard there because the exact words were, this time next week, Justin Turner will be a Dodger. And as we are recording this episode, Justin Turner is a, is a Dodger, even though it has not been made official yet. Well, and, and in, a, in an interesting, uh, you know, I guess, scenario, if you will, uh, the Dodgers also signed Matt Davidson to a minor league deal who's going to help out with uh, with that corner situation there for depth. Uh, he struggled with the Reds last year, um, but he, uh, you know, obviously if the Dodgers are signing someone or trading for someone that you've never heard of, there's clearly a blueprint there. Actually, I told you guys about this. Someone the other day after those, and we'll talk about those trades in a moment, but those trades that they did with the Marlins, uh, and such last week when they moved on from Dylan Floro and uh, and, our, and, and Adam Kalerik, uh, there you hadn't heard about him, right? But one a one a front office friend of mine straight up texted me like, "Hey, if the Dodgers are trading for someone or signing someone that you've never heard of, that dude's gonna either be elite or they're gonna be just such a good role player in the next however long that it's not even fair." And Matt Davidson could be that guy too. But uh, interestingly enough. Justin has not been added to the roster yet. It looks like they're uh, they're waiting on moving. Um, uh, oh, I forgot the names. You said them a second ago, Roger. What were the names? Caleb Ferguson and uh, uh, Conley. For some reason, every time I think of Caleb Ferguson, I think of Adam Kalerik, and I don't know why. <laughs> like, it's not fair to those two dudes. Like, that's almost like borderline racist. But they, I, I digress. We're waiting on those two guys to to move up. And then another Dodger move that happened the other day is uh, the Dodgers extend Austin Barnes and avoid arbitration. I'm personally a little surprised by that, that they gave him a two-year deal because he's essentially Clayton Kershaw's personal catcher. So, uh, you know, not surprised, but surprised. Uh, and, you know, it avoided arbitration as far as the, uh, uh, the I think the Dodgers had filed at 1.5 and, and he went in at two. So it just kind of, it, it makes everyone happy. Kind of like the Walker Beeler thing makes everyone happy. But now that, uh, just kind of curious to hear your guys' take. Now that the Dodgers have signed Turner, they're you know they, they it sounds like the the roster for the most part has been rounded out. How do you guys feel about the roster as it stands right now? I mean, you, you gotta you gotta feel good. I think, of course, for me, the big question is depth wise, is this going to be the same team losing Geeke and and losing Jock? I think losing Geeke is going to be um, is one I want to see how they recover, just because. Geeka, you could put anywhere. I mean, Geeka spelled a lot of people. There were, I mean, he was, there was that chant for a while, right? Let Geeka catch. I think Geeka had played every position in the major leagues except for catcher. So um, I, I'm just, what I'm worried about, because you know it's going to happen, it's a long season, it's 162 games, is what's going to happen, you know, if someone goes down. And also the, the Dodgers, they love to give these guys days off. They, I think that's how they keep them fresh. That's how they get them to go through a, a whole 162 season. Um, I think you usually, that's why Justin Turner hardly plays on Sundays. 
So I, I am curious to see how they handle the depth. And that's why I'm really anxious for spring training. I want to see these guys that maybe are going to have a chance to make the team as utility players. I want to see what they end up doing. But one thing, I, you know, I, I want to, the Justin Turner deal was basically the deal that we all expected he was going to get. I mean, from the beginning that this started, we all said, what, two years with a third year option, right? I wonder if it was maybe he was holding out for those accelerators. I'm just really curious as to why it took so long to get to the destination that we all thought this is the natural deal. I I feel like it's a, a, a combo of obviously trying to get as much as possible because um, the accelerators most of the time aren't really a, a holdup. It's usually years and you end up getting what, you know, what had been offered and what everyone else kind of said he would get on the open market anyway. Um, the, you know, and, and I told you guys, you know, that I'd heard somewhere in the, in the realm with the brewers that it was 15 per. So, I mean, it's, it's right in line essentially with where it's at. The only thing I could think of is maybe he just wanted some sort of a signing bonus to offset some of that money from last year as well. It could be any of those things, but be that as it may, he, it, you know, the, the signing is, is imminent because he hasn't officially signed the deal yet. Um, and, and it's coming in. Um, the only only question that I actually have is how close he was to signing with the Brewers or any other club, um, you know, because if, if he had the same offer from, we'll say, three teams and it's it's all in the same neighborhood, obviously, you know, hey, you know, what did Vayner Sports, you know, kind of tell Justin as far as, you know, where they thought the best move was to where they are now? Uh, that's one question that I personally have is just what the, you know, what the difference is. But be that as may, he'll return to the franchise where he made his name became a superstar fan favorite and a world champion all, you know, all in one franchise. So all in all, I feel like, I mean, at the end of the day, I still, I still feel like that the Dodgers and him were, were the better union because I don't think it made a lot of sense for him to go to the Brewers or to the Braves. Um, is the other team that's, that's the other team I've heard is the third team. Um, and the Jays is the other team that was rumored to be out there. Um, but be that as it may, he ended up back here, but, uh, he, you know, the, the thing that I'm curious to see also this year, as you talk about spring, uh, you know, he's kind of, sometimes he, he can be a little bit of a hot and cold guy when the season first starts off. So I'm kind of curious to see how that goes now going into age 36. And likewise, you know, kind of what the rest of the roster rounded out, like you said, the Kike thing, I, I think that's going to be a big factor going into the remainder of the season, uh, just because you don't have that depth with him and Jock. And, uh, and likewise, uh, you know, you're infield now, sounds like the infield for the Dodgers is going to be, you know, Turner, Seager, probably Lux or Taylor at second and Muncie at first um, is kind of what I'm expecting that infield to look like. So it's going to be interesting to see because from there, your depth is, you know, your Chris Taylor, Edwin Rios, um, Zach McKinstry, which is a name that, uh, that Rogers thrown out there. And Matt Beatty would probably be the other option um, as far as that goes. And, and in my opinion, those two dudes, you know, the two dudes that are for sure going to be missing there, Jock and Kike, because Kike could play everywhere, literally. And Jock, you know, added to that left, you know, to the to the outfield depth. So it's going to be interesting to see how they manage that, especially with, you know, AJ Pollock going to be getting probably the majority of the reps in left field. Uh, obviously, Mookie and right, Cody in center. And from there, you know, you have Beatty again, uh, Chris Taylor, and, you know, the, the Luke Rayleys of the world. Uh, you know, would it be coming up through there too? So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how they how they round it out, if that makes sense. But Roger, I know that you uh, you're a big Justin Turner guy, 
So uh, how do you feel about how the roster is, you know, now kind of, for lack of a better term, been settled with JT resigning? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's pretty much settled. Uh, like you said, I think the the big, uh, they are going to miss Kike, you know, Kike, you know, filling in anywhere, basically. And, and you know, and and I think he's going to be the, the bigger loss than, than, you know, than Jock. You know, obviously Jock was platooning and left. You know, he'd have the big the big home runs. But I think Kike is the one that, you know, if you needed to plug him in at second, you'd put him in, you'd put him at short, you know, and you put him in the outfield. So that's, to me, that's the biggest loss. But um, but I still think they're rounding out. You know, they made they made a couple of trades. Um, you know, they picked up from the A's, um, the third baseman from the A's. Uh, Sheldon, Sheldon Noose. Yeah, Sheldon Noose. And so, you know, we'll see if he gets some time up, up, up here. I mean, I would assume that he would be up getting some playing time. Um, so, you know, I think, I think, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, when they pick up, like you said, when they pick up somebody you haven't really heard of, watch out. Cause <laughs> you never know what's gonna, what's going to become of them. You know, what I find uh, interesting is I think Sheldon Noose was ranked like the number five prospect for the Oakland A's. And when you put him in the Dodgers, uh, farm system, I think he drops into the teens. So I think it just speaks to, again, no matter, you know, how much we replenish that farm system, you know, a lot, either they're playing with the team or they trade players. This farm system of theirs is still stacked, which is another reason to look forward to spring training because we get to see these guys in the farm system. Now, I am one that does, doesn't go to many minor league games. Um, Roger, you you do you go to some minor league games, don't you? Yeah, I, I go to quite a bit of the Quakes games. They're pretty close to me, so, you know, like getting down there. So you, you've you seen some of these guys, right, ha, that are on the spring training uh, roster, or or you haven't? Well, last year, obviously, there wasn't, you know, no uh, spring, you know, no minor league system. But, yeah, I mean, prior to that, you know, we've seen some of these guys that are, you know, Mitchell White, you know, when Walker was down there, you know, you know, some some of these guys like they're there for a couple starts, like and then they're gone. So, you know, if, if they're if they're gonna if they're on that fast track, they're you know they might be in in Rancho for like a month and then they're they're up to you know Tulsa after that. So, but yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna be interesting to see how how it shakes out in the spring, you know. And uh, I mean, it kind of you know it sucks obviously that we're not really getting to hear a lot you know as a lot of media is not is not you know allowed so we're not hearing you know from you know different guys oh you know this guy's doing this this guy's doing that so it's going to be a little bit different this this spring but yeah i mean i think it's it should be pretty interesting you know how everything shakes out well and speaking of the minors so one thing to take into account with the dodgers where they're at currently uh their their payroll stands at about two hundred and fifty five millions, million. So that means that they've passed the the base tax threshold of two ten, and then the the first surcharge threshold of two thirty. The second uh, surcharge threshold is that two fifty number, where you know the tax goes up at like sixty two and a half or something like that. But for the Dodgers, where it matters, as far as their front office is set up, is if they finish the season above two hundred and fifty million. It also carries the penalty of the team having its highest available draft pick next year move back by 10 places. So it's super possible that the Dodgers will attempt to get back under that line, perhaps trading someone like a Joe Kelly, a Kelly Jansen, 
you know, m- moving some money around so that way they don't end up over that threshold. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if a Joe Kelly uh, were to get moved just in part because of his number. You know, we, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, a fan talk at least about Kenley today, obviously Dave Roger, uh, Dave Rogers, Jesus, Dave Roberts came out and said that Kenley is the closer as of today. Uh, that's kind of a bold, op- you know, opening spring training statement, but at the same time, it kind of shows that he's backing his guy. So I'm kind of curious because I know he got crushed quite a bit during the postseason because of, of what went on. And, and now we're here. I'm kind of curious to hear your take on, on Dave Roberts kind of, kind of, you know, protecting his player for lack of a better term. Well, that's who Dave Roberts is, right? I mean, Dave Roberts is a player's coach. Uh, he, and look, I can't blame him because it's a long season and he's going to need these guys. Some of these guys, you know, that before when the last time we had a full season, the number of times that players went up and down that were in the minor leagues or got sent down and then they got back, got pulled back up because there was an injury. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that Dave Roberts does that. I think Dave Roberts probably greatest strength as a manager is that his, he has that ability to be able to manage that locker room. So for him, and he doesn't strike me as a controversial, even though he made those comments of being brash and not wanting to be brash saying, I'm not worried about what the Padres, the show pods did, but he's a guy that I think he's going to protect. I think he has loyalty towards his veterans so I think until he is absolutely forced to make a decision on, on Kenley, which I think he will be this year, I think he's going to be forced to have to do something because I just, you can't ignore what the eye is, is showing you, right? And that is, you know, the father time is, is undefeated. You know, Kenley is getting older. He's constantly, it feels like every year we talk about his velocity I think he was topping out maybe at 93 miles per hour last year. And that was, it seemed with him, you know, putting all his body into it. And it's just really curious. You, you see Kenley Jansen, it takes him all he's got in his body to throw 93 miles per hour. Meanwhile, you take someone like Joe Kelly, who it looks like he's barely throwing. And all of a sudden you see 98, 99 miles per hour. Bruzdar is another guy that it doesn't even look like he's throwing hard and every pitch is at 100 miles per hour so it doesn't surprise me that Roberts is standing behind Jansen but I do feel that uh, if you're asking me to make a prediction this year one of my predictions is Roberts is going to have to make a decision on uh, on what to do with Jansen but it'll be based on performance casual 100 from Bruce Starr just yeah does not even try like it's just like oh okay yeah yeah I'll throw that and just boom, 103. What? Like, and ultimately, I think, you know, one thing to take away from that quote is Robert said that they have a lot of viable options to finish out games. And they do. That's not a lie. You know, you have, uh, you know, the the Dustin Mays of the world, if need be. Obviously, Julio Diaz proved he can do some stuff. And then from there, you obviously go into the actual pen, you know, with the Victor Gonzalez's, the Bristar Gratterall, you know, the, I mean, they have options to, to make it work and then unconventional options in the sense of a, a Victor Gonzalez, you know, so I mean, there's th- that embarrassment of riches that we've talked about quite a bit comes into play with that. Um, another thing that they uh, they brought up was Walker Buehler has been throwing 
uh, you know, really since, since the winter. So he'll be for sure more, you know, assuming everything goes as planned, he'll be more ready than previous springs because he's continued to throw in the winter. So I'm hopeful that, you know, cause obviously he's notorious for being a slow starter, uh, and, and just kind of, you know, I don't, I don't want to say struggling, but just, you know, he's getting the, the, the mortar warmed up, if you will, you know, going into the first month of the season. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how, you know, how that plays into an effect with everything. And, uh, you know, and from there, really the only other, you know, giant piece of news is that, uh, uh, Keeper Ruiz is not here yet because of some visa issues. So now, you know, it is what it is there. And, uh, Kershaw showed up today, obviously, you know, prayers up to everyone in Texas that that's a horrible situation for anyone out there struggling. Um, I, I mean, I hope everything goes well for you guys out there, but, uh, Kershaw showed up today and that Julio Rios looks great. You know, that, that was another kind of key, key point, you know, he, and I saw a couple of pictures of him and he, and he looks good physically and, uh, and, you know, going into day one of spring training, that's what you want from your guys to show up in shape, ready to get to work. And then uh, he and he looks fantastic. So I mean, I I feel like there's a lot of optimism going into the season. And then you know, kind of bringing up the show pods, you know, we we heard what what happened yesterday. You know, before we recorded this, Fernando Tatis Jr. is uh, signing a 14 year pact with the San Diego Padres. And you know what? I, I will say this, and this isn't even about the fans. This is just about just you know them trying to to make a move because there's a lot of teams that make moves to appear competitive, a la the Oakland Athletics, you know, teams like that, that are just like, oh, well, we want to be competitive. And competitive, for the most part, is where you want to be third or second in our division. You know, we may get a wild card shot. The Padres, in my opinion, they're, you know, while all these other owners are waving the white flag, they're going for it. And I feel like that's good for the game. I feel like this deal is good for both parties. Because uh, as you guys know, I'm definitely, you know, a, a, players, a players guy all, you know, all in. But I feel like where it shows, you know, the, 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 the diligence, if you will, is the, uh, the, the Padres obviously making that commitment of 14 years to him is huge. But it shows where they think Fernando's stature is in the game. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. The fans, on the other hand, I, you know, all the stuff that they say, I just tune it out because there is no rivalry as far as I'm concerned yet. And in part because, you know, the Dodgers have the most NL win West uh, division titles. It's not even close. 19 to five. It's not even close. World series appearances, not even close, but you know, th- this, this is probably the beginnings of a formidable building into a rivalry of sorts where now the Dodgers are obviously going to have someone chasing them and, and they're, they're, they're competing with each other. And I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I'm kind of curious to hear your takes because when we were talking about it offline yesterday, there was kind of a, a wide range of emotions. So I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on, on the deal and what the Padres have done this offseason. Go ahead, babyface. Solid use of the nickname. I mean, I think I think the deal is obviously great for Tatis. You know, if he becomes what what he's everybody's saying he's going to be, it's a great deal. Obviously, you know, they're going to keep him around for the next 14 years. You know, for that franchise, for the league you know, for the competitive games against the Dodgers. Awesome. Um, I think, you know, maybe on a personal level, he might have should have waited a little bit, um, but it looks like it, it sounds like, you know, he wants to stick around there. He's going to be loyal to that franchise, you know, a la Mike Trout, you know, who I thought could have got a lot more money than what he signed for in Anaheim. Same thing with Tatis, you know, if he puts up MVP numbers in the next couple of years, I mean, 
he probably could have exceeded that total going into his free agency because he's still young. He's way young. Um, but yeah, I mean, Padres have done moves. You know, they're 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 trying to come after the Dodgers. You know, and I I I posted these yesterday. You know, don't tell me that they're not trying to buy a championship because their infield is worth about eight hundred million dollars. So they're definitely trying to buy something. Um, but you know, remains to be seen. You know, Dodgers are the top dog. To the Padres, knock them off. Then then we can talk as far as rivalries. You know, they're they're like that kid brother trying to trying to always looking up to the to the big brother and trying to emulate them and trying to catch up to them. We'll see. Time will tell. But you know, as of now, Dodgers are the top dog in the NL West. And I still still, you know, see that being the case for the next, you know, couple of years. So you know that's what that's what I'm thinking is gonna happen this year and you know, years beyond. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard for me to sit here and criticize the Padres for spending money. We just talked about this on our last episode. I was very critical of all the other major league teams that don't spend money. So I'm not going to sit here and say, wow, oh my gosh, the Padres are the Padres have handed out two three hundred million dollar contracts. By the way, the Dodgers have only handed out one three hundred million dollar contract. But the, the issue at hand is this. This happened in the 90s. Actually, this happened before. The Yankees were always criticized. They spent too much money. The Yankees are out there buying championships. The Yankees went out there and they wanted to win championships, so they spent the money. Guess what? The Dodgers are now in the position that the Yankees have always been. The Dodgers are the new villain for Major League Baseball. Everybody wants to hate or does hate the Dodgers. You know, I, you know... You know, surround myself mainly with Dodger fans. So I don't feel that hatred. So it, it is a little bit surprising sometimes when I go outside of my circle to hear people, oh, I hate the Dodgers. And because to me, it's just like, how can you hate the Dodgers? I mean, we always lose. Up until last year, we haven't done anything. How could you hate us, right? But I get it now. because they're, But again, I can't hate on the Padres because they're trying to win. And I agree with you a lot. So I think this is good for baseball. I wish more baseball teams would go out there and spend money i mean think about it the san diego padres who are always considered to be in a smaller market are spending more money than the chicago cubs now this again is a tribute and i'm very thankful that we have the the front office that we have for the dodgers they are obviously they have a plan they are executing it and they are running the team, you know, perfectly. You just, you can't argue with the results. Every year they're competitive. Every year they're in the playoffs. How is it that one of the marquee franchises in Major League Baseball, the Chicago Cubs, are having money problems or basically trying to dump salary? The fact that the division is as bad as it is, and there's still, there's a chance they might win it. I, I mean, I don't think that's good for baseball. In terms of a rivalry with the, with the show pods, I get it. The problem is, is for there to be a rivalry, both fan bases need to be engaged. I don't know one Dodger fan who gives two, you know what, about the Padres. I like going down to San Diego. I like their stadium. But you go down to San Diego and Dodger fans take over that place. That's Dodger Stadium South. The real rivalries are with the San Francisco Giants. I mean, this is why. The Giants won three World Series before we won ours. And it just drove me insane that the Giants won. 
it just killed me that these guys could say that they won the World Series, not just one, but they ended up winning three. The year the Giants were in the World Series against the Angels, I wanted to hang myself because I couldn't root for anybody. You know, is there a way that both of them could lose? I could care less about the Angels, right? But I just didn't want to hear it, you know, because I'm local. I don't want to hear it from Angel fan, you know, and stuff like that. That's what is a rivalry. When you are emotionally invested, I'm not emotionally invested in the show pods. It may develop, but I think it requires winning in order for there to be a rivalry. I agree with that. I, uh, I, I do think what the, you know, the, the Padres are, have made some noise. They're making moves. AJ Preller has had himself a, a hell of an off season. Cause the thing is now is, you know, teams in the past, you know, I, teams that kind of come to mind that have made kind of like some sexy moves, but aren't, you know, don't end up panning out, you know, the White Sox, uh, the Mariners, you know, teams, the Angels even, um, you know, they, they make these moves where they, they go and acquire a, a bigger player. A good example, Anthony Rendon, not too long ago. Um, and they don't pan out, right? They don't end up doing anything. The moves that the Padres have made, you know, we, you know, we talked about this in the postgame shows during the postseason last year. The Padres were an arm or two away from being a legitimate contender in the NL West. They went and got those arms. They've bolstered their bullpen. They've they've committed to to Tatis, who is you know uh, you know uh, I heard someone today say that he might be kind of a Ken Griffey Jr. type you know of of a of a of a, an enigma if you will as he was because he was about having fun. Okay, was- I hope you told that guy to stop because here's the one thing about Tatis. I'm going to let you finish. Right. He has not even played a full season yet. So, okay. and, and the point that I was going to get to is he's been, he's been there such a short amount of time that it's, it's, and it, for them to do their diligence, of course, which AJ Preller does and to, to commit that much to this dude, knowing where he's at is impressive because this dude's already on the cover of video games. Dude's already, you know, he, he's already getting the, the right sort of traction, if you will, to be going that way. And I do see the comparison to Griffey. Because Griffey was all about being loose and, and having fun, making the game fun. And as you know, a lot of old timers in the game don't have fun. <laughs> they follow the old school rules. Whereas Tatis is all about now. Nah, we're going to go out here and we're going to ball and we're going to have fun. And he effortlessly plays, which is insane. And he's only 22. And add to that, that he's not even a homegrown Padres player. They acquired him in a trade. So, yeah. And so it's one of those things where it's like it worked out great for everyone. And obviously, when you acquire a player of any kind, even if it's a salary move, whatever the case is, you you still hope that they pan out in some certain degree to being a decent major league player. The Padres have won this one so far, given where his trajectory is and where he's headed to. And then the other thing that's that's you know one thing to forget about is he's taken off some of the pressure off of the Hosmer and the Machado deals. Because now, obviously, Machado got that 10-year, $300 million deal, right? The Dodgers didn't give it to him. Got it from the Padres. I feel like now Tatis is taking a little bit of that pressure off because now he's the guy. That's 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 his, that's the man. And especially when you're committing that amount of years, you know, to to that sort of a deal, you know, that's kind of another one of those like low key underlying things that that kind of helps the justification of that deal. Because I mean, Ahosmer is getting paid a lot of money, and he wasn't very good. He hadn't been very good the last couple of years. Now he's he's kind of coming into his own. Machado, you know, obviously the pressure of that deal gets to you, but now here we are. That these got 340, 360, something like that. And uh, and as far as like pre-arbitration deals go, just blows the water with this deal. I mean, Trout got 145, I think is what he got. Uh, Acuna got 100. 
And and that's another dude that's, you know, the the other ripple effect of this is Ronald Acuna woke up like, what? Wait, wait, what? This dude got what in a pre-arbitration deal? And But here's the tough thing with the Acuna situation. So Acuna signed a deal eight years for $100 million. I immediately, there are two things that run through my mind there. One is, does Acuna need to fire his agent? Or two, he is probably never, no, I probably know for a fact, he's never seen that amount of money. You put $100 million in front of me and I'm going to say, where do I sign? So obviously he's going to go ahead and take that deal. I, I Look, Tatis is, I, I will admit, it's fun to watch him. But what happened to him in the playoffs? The Dodgers handled him. He didn't make much noise in that in that series. Now, he has a personality. And I think his personality with the combination of his talent is what puts him in the forefront of Major League Baseball. But I just want to remind everyone, okay, and this is coming from a Dodger fan. There's a guy who plays in Anaheim. His name is Mike Trout. He is the best baseball player in Major League Baseball. And it's not even close. If the guy would learn how to backflip, maybe people would go crazy and say, oh, let, you know, let's put Mike Trout on the cover of everything, right? But as my friend said, Mike Trout is boring, right? But Mike Trout is, I watch Mike Trout play and I go, this is what it must have looked like to watch Mickey Mantle every day. You, you the guy is going up against Major League Baseball players, and it looks like it's Little League. He looks like the guy in the Little League World Series who's like six feet tall, and you're just like, there, there's no way this kid should be playing with the rest of these kids. I mean, look, Tatis got the money. He's worth whatever you get paid. And the, the economics in Major League Baseball, I think, are insane because we're just talking about the Padres giving out two $300 million contracts. Guess what, folks? In 1998, the O'Malley family sold the Dodgers for $311 million. 300, and this was in 1998. And now, routinely, we are seeing Major League Baseball players signing contracts that are worth what franchises are selling for. Remember what, when A-Rod signed his deal and how people were like, whoa, what, 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 is, what is this? And then now it's like, that's just a casual like five-year deal. Like 252 million, 254, 160. Like you, those are numbers you just kind of casually see now. Yeah, but I mean, I think I, I feel bad for Acuna, and it's hard to say that. I mean, the guy's making, he's got 100 million, right? But well, you, he had to have woken up going, what the hell? Because I, I feel like Acuna has more of a track record, record than, than Tatis. I, when, did, when did Acuna sign that? Didn't he sign that like? barely right ago? like right when he came up though right like he had like well, the, the Braves I think that what the Braves did was smart right was he was they're getting this this talent under control for you know a manageable uh, amount of money yeah. I think the show pods did the same thing that the Braves did they just threw a lot more money at these guys and you throw that much money at someone it's really hard it's like make them say no make that you want to keep this is how you build a franchise, right? This is you want to keep a team. You want to make them competitive for as long as you can. You have to find a way to keep your best players here. And if you have to overpay to do that, then you do that. I just again, I have to I have I'm really curious to talk to Okunya's agent and, and see. But again, how can you get angry at someone for taking a hundred million dollar deal when they probably never managed, imagined 
that they would be, see that much money in their lifetime. Well, and what's funny about the Acuna deal, he also got paid after a year at the major league level. So, you know, it's it, obviously the, the comparison is going to be, you know, uncharitable at best, you know, because they're, oh, what? How did Tatis get so much more money? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and there's obviously the people that think that Acuna might be better than Tatis. I mean, that, you know, the verdict is out on that and it's going to be for a while. But be that as it may, I heard this today too. If you're ever offered a small fortune, don't turn it down. I can't blame Tatis for signing that deal. Would you? No, no, no. absolutely not. No. And I mean, you know, same, same with Acuna, uh, you know, that, that sign that, you know, it's going to end up being, I think roughly like 125 million at the end. And even at that for, for Acuna, you know, he's going to be up for another contract by the time that deal is up. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of where he benefits from that. Or at some point, you know, you could even say the whole bit of, you know, kind of the NFL thing, like, Hey, I'm outperforming this deal. We need to restructure this. The Angels basically did that with Trout as well. So, you know, there, there's options as far as that goes. But, and, and one thing about Trout, I, you know, I, I've been around the dude, you know, I, I know the dude, he, not only is he a dude that, that is a, a, just a, the best baseball player that I've ever seen, but he's a solid human. Uh, you know, you don't ever hear about a lot of the stuff that he does off the field. You know, he actually signed some stuff and sent it for my kids uh, uh, benefit a couple of years ago uh, for, for the, you know, uh, uh, we were trying to raise some funds for his bills for his cancer and trout without batting an eye signed some stuff and sent it. So, I mean, that's the kind of guy that he is, you know, not only with teammates, but anyone that, that he's down with is, you know, he, and, and likewise, when he hears about it, you know, other, other folks that need help, he does it without, like you said, without a baffling, he's not that loud guy that's going to try to try to establish a brand. But what's insane, he's literally the best baseball player on the planet. There, I've never seen anyone as good as he is that swings a bat as flawlessly as he does and as hard as he does, he, he, as fast as he is. Like he, he's, it's just not even close. You know, Dude, he, makes it, he makes it look all so easy. And oh, I insane. mean, and he just can't. This is major league baseball. These are the best baseball players in the world playing in this league. And he makes it look like he's playing with kids, which is another reason why I'm going to take this opportunity to dump on Manfred that I just can't stand Manfred for the fact that Major League Baseball can't figure out a way to promote this guy, even though he plays down in Disneyland. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, if you are a student of the game, this is a once in a lifetime talent. And and it just seems like no one pays attention to the fact. It's like you take him for granted that the guy every year probably should win the MVP because he's that damn good. And the dude has the biggest neck that I've ever seen. Like yes, his, he does. Yes. He, his neck is insane. And it's, but again, one of the nicest dudes, and he's one of the good guys in the game. That's a good way of putting it. You, he doesn't carry himself like a superstar. Doesn't carry, you know, he, 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 he does all the right things and, and he takes people under his wing. He, he does all the things that you're supposed to do when you get to the show. The only difference is he's the best damn player on the planet. That's like where the, the, the outlier is with him, but he doesn't do the Barry Bonds thing. He doesn't do even, uh, you know, the, the Mark McGuire thing, the Sosa thing. And those guys, I mean, Bonds out of those three was the best complete player, right? But, you know, those dudes were those superstar dudes. Everywhere you go, there's those superstar dudes, the Bryce Harpers you know, the, the, the Mookie Betts, you know, all those guys, the Clayton Kershaw's and then, but again, Trout does, you know, he's, and also he's in a clubhouse of, of superstars with, you know, Albert Pujols, you know, and he's been around other dudes, you know, currently Anthony Rendon, you know, all, all these guys, right. 
but he, you know, he, he knows what his job is. He goes out and he does it. You know, he's the, he's the lunch pail guy, that blue collar guy. Right. And just goes out and does the thing, but it doesn't hurt that he's got, he's just the best baseball player on the, it's insane. Like watching that dude's BP is one of the things that I just like, I remember the first time I saw one, I was just like, what, like, what, how, how is this real? And like, and there, and there, you hear stories of dudes having BP, Giancarlo Stan, Aaron judge, Joey Gallo, Josh Hamilton was another insane BP that I saw. Mike Trout hits 500 foot bombs during BP casually. So it's, it's insane how that dude, you know, how easily he does stuff like it's nothing. So it's again, but we're never going to have Rob Manfred on saying, I know why, (laughs) because Juan's just going to come at him and he's going to keep coming. He's going to keep coming. So it's, you know, it's, it's one of those weird things, but looking around at the NL West. So the Pakota standings or projections rather have the NL West being won by the Dodgers, 104 games to 95 by the Padres. And then when you look at the fan graphs, uh, interestingly enough, they have the Dodgers winning the division with 97 wins and the Padres with 94. They're both, I feel like they're, they're both within the range of that, you know, but I I don't think that it's going to necessarily start turning into a rivalry effective immediately. Right. But I think it's going to, it's, it's kind of giving that Dodgers that extra kick in the ass that they sometimes need. Um, I'm kind of curious to hear kind of your, your, your take on those projections as, as we sit here today, you know, before they've even played a damn game. One. Go, go ahead, baby. Or right, you want me to go baby face? I, if I feel like you're just chomping at the bit to say something. Yeah, I do too. That's, that's why I, I was kind of letting you collect your thoughts. So you don't get frazzled. <laughs> Um, I'll go. Um, I mean, I, I think those projections are pretty, pretty accurate. Um, I mean, the crazy thing is, you know, with all these moves that the Padres and everybody's are saying, all those moves for them to finish in second, you know, they're immense to be seen, obviously, you know, if they do finish in second, I mean, they're going to they'd be the wild card team and they'd be facing who probably the Mets or, or who the, the Mets or the, um, or the Braves, right. And in a wild card game. So, all that, you know, if, if, if those all come to fruition, you know, and they're playing in the wild card game, and then they could end up losing that one game, that one game wild card game. And then what? It's like, then what happens? You know, so it's crazy. I mean, just, um, I mean, I still think the Dodgers will get about 100 wins um, and still, you know, win this division probably like by, you know, six, seven games. Um, I still think, uh, you know, like I said, the, the rivalry will come. From the head-to-head matchups, we know we know the Padres are going to be pumped. We saw them last year. We saw saw them pimping their home runs, but you know what? I mean, Dodgers just take that. And they they look at it, and and they go out and and they they answer on the field. You know, they they swept them in the in the playoffs. You know, three games to nothing. You know, they they know they're the team to beat, and um, you know, they'll they'll, they'll take it. They'll take what the Padres got to give, and you know, I think uh, like I said, they'll they'll come out on top. So. I'm not, I'm not worried about that. You know, we'll, we'll see what, what develops. If like I said, if the rivalry develops, you know, like Juan was saying, it's for me, the rivalry is, is the giants. You know, I've, I've grown up my whole life. Giants. I hate the giants. Just, I hate the giants. Everything they've done. Like I said, when they won those three world series, like crap, you know, I thought in every single one of those giants were not the best team. You know, they, they got those when they were doing that, that devil magic run, you know, they'd get those lucky hits they'd get and, and they ended up winning games and they, kept winning and they kept winning and they kept winning it's like come on seriously like come on 
But, devil um, magic run. Yeah, that devil, exactly. <laughs> and that to me is the rivalry, you know, and I mean, it might not be the same for players anymore, but I mean, I think for the fan base, it's still, that's the rivalry. You ask anybody, well, who's the giant Dodgers, you know, who's their, who's their rival? It's the Giants. You know, a lot of people are saying now Astros, obviously because of what happened in 17, but you know, we don't play them enough. I mean, they were more of a rival back when they were all in the NL West, you know, back years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, it remain, I mean, the games of the Padres are probably going to be pretty fun. And, you know, if there's fans allowed up in San Diego, that's going to get pretty intense up there. I mean, that's, that's when that place sells out. So like when I was telling you, Alonso, like, how do these guys make money? The only time they make money is when the Dodgers come into town. So it's like, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting, you know, once, once that place is opened up and it's a Dodger Padre game, um, it's going to be pretty intense out there. Sometimes you have to have a, a playoff run to get a, an owner that's willing to open up the pocketbook. And essentially their chairman was like, yo, we have private equity money. Let's spend it. And also, you know, they've, you know, they, they've come into agreements with Live Nation and AG for their venue, you know, and, and they sell crazy merch, you know, even just with that San Diego stuff. So, I mean, obviously they don't, they, they can't compete with the revenue, if you will, of the Dodgers. But, you know, if, if you have, you know, kind of a, uh, uh, looser purse strings going into it. Like, and to me, giving that these tying up that these makes a lot of sense. Um, cause I feel like that's, you know, it's, it's I as crazy as it sounds that 14 year deal at that dollar amount is still a super team friendly deal. Um, but you know, that's just, that's just my take on it. But what say you want? Look, I, I, again, I don't think there is a rivalry, but I will say this. I think there's definitely heat between the two teams. Uh, and I think it's because you have P, uh, players on that Padre team that are very emotional. Um, they're very demonstrative between Machado and Tatis, you know, always, you know, with the theatrics. And, you know, there's a there's some red asses on the Dodgers. I mean, Kershaw don't, don't is a red Grisham. ass. Don't forget Grisham. <laughs> Grisham. Yeah, I mean, Kershaw is a red ass. Right. So we also get to see they're going to play 19 times this year. So going into all this hype going into it, you know, and if these guys start showing up the Dodgers, you have guys like Muncie who are going to talk back to these guys. So I, I think there's going to be heat. It'll be fun for the fans. Everyone's going to get into it. But I mean, I if you really break down everything that the Padres, I think because the Padres have made moves and it, maybe they they just were a team that wasn't used to making these moves and that's what's gotten everybody's attention. But guys, I mean, if you sit there and you look at their roster, you Dar I didn't realize this. You Darvish is 34 years old, okay? Clayton Kershaw, who we all think is old and is getting towards the end of it, is 32. You Darvish is two years older than Clayton Kershaw. Now, I'm not fully convinced that you Darvish has bounced back I think he had a good season last year, but it was a 60-game season. I'm curious to see over a full full season if you Darvish is going to be able to pitch the way he pitched last year. Uh, I think it's going to help that he's going to be pitching in Petco, but I, I'm not so completely sold on Darvish. And I don't know if you guys – did you guys get a chance to read the Blake Snell piece in the Players' Tribune today? I did not. I didn't even know there was a piece – so he basically, he wrote a piece describing game six of the World Series and him getting pulled out. And it was really interesting to hear his theory that when he walked out on the, mat, on the mound in that sixth inning, 
that he looked and he saw that someone was warming up in the bullpen. And he knew that when he saw someone warming up in the bullpen, that cash was going to pull him out. And that that basically changed his mentality, how he approached the hitters. And this is an article he wrote himself. So this is all in his perspective. And he's telling you that instead of him focusing on how he's going to attack A.J. Pollock in this inning, Mookie Betts is going to come up later on in this inning. Instead, he was thinking about the fact that there was someone warming up in the bullpen. And it made me just think about something here. It's like, and I I know that Major League Baseball players are creatures of habit. And, you know, they deal with that all the time. They know what's going to happen. If they see someone in the bullpen, they know they're coming out. But I I couldn't help but think that he revealed something about his mentality there. And if when things get heated between the Dodgers and the show pods towards the end, when we're going through that final stretch run to to win the division, is Blake Snell going to hold up under the pressure uh, of this so-called rivalry between the Dodgers and, and the Padres? I mean, I also couldn't help but think, man, is that what Kershaw felt like all these years in the playoffs? Is that why Kershaw would have a meltdown in the playoffs? Because he knew there's no one that's going to come out of the bullpen to save me. I got to figure out a way to do it. And I feel like every time in those playoffs runs, Kershaw was on fumes because he had been carrying the Dodgers all season to get to the playoffs at that point. So by the time that he got to the playoffs, there was nothing left. So I I have questions on this on this Padres team. And this is the reason why we have an inside joke between our, our text messages. Whenever anybody makes news about the Padres, well, the Padres did this, the Padres and we say to each other, oh, show pods in two, show pods in two. I just feel, okay, this is why I love Dave Roberts' comment when he said, I don't mean to be brash, I don't mean to be arrogant, but I don't care about the Padres moves because the Padres still have to beat the Dodgers. And the way this Dodger team has been operating the last eight years, it doesn't seem like, I mean, uh, this Dodger team has been almost through every scenario. They've won the division by 20 games. They also had to go to a one-game playoff to win the division against the Rockies that year. So this is a team that's tested going against a young upstart team down south. So everybody wants to make this a rivalry, I think, because the Giants are down. So you're not going to get the Giants challenging the Dodgers. I think people in Major League Baseball are so desperate to have somebody challenge the Dodgers in the National League West that everyone is jumping on this Padre bandwagon. But for me, it's on the Padres. They have to prove that they can compete with the Dodgers. It's on them because I have to remind everybody, the Dodgers swept the Padres in the playoffs last year. Okay, They took them out 3-0. So this whole rivalry thing, it still hasn't happened. It may develop, but I don't buy it until I see it. Well, and, and to, uh, to piggyback off of two of the points that you made, the reason I'm not worried about you, Darvish, aside from the 2015 Tommy John season that he had, um, and then the you know 15-day DL stint in 16, um, you's been relatively healthy. Uh, Clayton, you know, he's got uh, – obviously we know – you know, now the, the documented back problems and, and things like that. Uh, whereas you hasn't really had any of those. If you're a pitcher, you need your back. That's just the end all be all right. Now with Tommy John, you could have three Tommy Johns or two Tommy John surgeries and you'll still have a job in MLB if you can throw a ball. So 
you know, I, I'm not necessarily, you know, that that's, that's, that's one thing I'm not worried about because you has been pretty consistent aside from that, you know, him running into that issue. And then obviously the, the, the trash cans aside from that, you know, he's, he's been pretty consistent as far as that goes. Um, and then uh, as far as the, so I hadn't read the Blake Snell thing. I didn't even know that was a thing until you just said it, it just came out today. Oh, okay. Um, so if you get a chance, it's, it's just, it's very interesting. Uh, I always appreciate like, going back to that Clinton Kershaw piece in the LA times that Jorge Castillo wrote. I just, I really appreciate honesty uh, from professional athletes. And I was surprised that he wrote it. I mean, I, I'm sure Kevin Cash isn't happy about it. I'm sure the Tampa Bay Rays aren't happy about it. I mean, but that's how that organization is run. I mean, making those decisions is what probably got them to the World Series. And, you know, uh, look, it's, it's a move that I feel Dave Roberts has been doing all up until last year. I feel like Dave Roberts finally strayed from the formula last year and it ended up resulting in the Dodgers winning the World Series. Well, and I, you know, to, to kind of uh, point out one thing with that, it, it reminds you that these dudes, although professional athletes making a, a you know, an ass ton of money, they're still human. Yes. Um, you know, until you're put in that situation, you don't know how you would react. You know, obviously Kershaw would have the weight of the world going in on him because it's like, yo, we're trying to get the first chip. And Blake in that situation, I, I mean, pitchers, pitchers, baseball players, infielders, all of them, for the most part, they're all insane creatures of habit. And they know that if, if something like that happens, they know, okay, the, the, the leash is short and I can't, I can't blow this. And you know, what, what happened happened and the rest is history. That's where it's at. But it's, it's always interesting when you hear from an elite level pitcher that you hear that sort of mentality. You know, I've heard that from other pitchers, you know, when they get put in those situations, they know what's coming, they know exactly what's coming. And that's a part of that, you know, that habit. Um, and, and obviously when you're in a world series situation, it's slightly different, but it's, it's that whole, you know, psychological warfare, if you will, that sometimes you play with yourself when it comes to stuff. And so it's interesting to hear Blake say that. One thing I will say is I don't know if Blake writes that if he's still a Tampa Bay Ray, um, just because that's kind of, you know, in, 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 uh, in the circles, if you will, it's kind of frowned upon to do that, but who knows, you know, nowadays, I mean, everyone's got, you know, everyone's got their, uh, their, uh, their connect, if you will, where they try to, uh, to, to kind of move the needle a la trevor bauer so it's you know anything is possible that's just assuming you know maybe the rays wouldn't have been okay with him doing that no i mean look in it he says he he knew how to approach all those dodger hitters in that lineup and he knew he was dealing that day those are his his words that he writes it in that article i am curious to see this year you know he said he wants to make sure he pitches in every series against the dodgers I'm curious to see if the more the Dodgers see him, they figure him out, or if it's going to be the other way around where he really does have the Dodgers number. Well, and it's, that's the part of why it's going to be fun. You know, I don't think it's a rivalry yet, but I definitely think it's one of those where, where, you know, cause the Dodgers are going into this, like, yo, we, we, you know, we're, we're going to repeat, we're going into this to repeat. And that's that the Padres are just trying to win the division. And then from there do their thing. Right. And again, so their Padres. fans can celebrate in the parking lot. <laughs> and you know what? I'm okay with fans doing that sort of stuff because at the end of the day, you know, MLB is trying to make it more, you know, appealing to the younger folks. And, you know, that's why even like when their hitters pimp stuff, I mean, th- this has always been my mentality. If a dude hits a home run off of me, I can't be pissed. I shouldn't be giving up the home run. So do what you got to do. And then if someone else takes exception to that, well, then we have to deal with that. Right. But me as a pitcher, 
I can't take exception to that. That's one of the reasons I am not a Madison Bumgarner guy. If you're that pissed that someone got a double off of you or whatever, then don't, you know what? Don't let them hit the ball. It's just that easy. I think and, we can devote a whole episode to the unwritten rules of baseball. Oh, it would be a series. It wouldn't just be an episode. But one thing that I do have to say about the Padres that I respect that they've done as far as moves go, they were aggressive. And whether it's acquiring you Darvish, whether it's acquiring Joe Musgrave, Grove, I'm sorry, uh, Mark Melanson, even, uh, you know, Blake Snell, those are aggressive moves. Those are moves that you're, you're telling your, your, your team and you're telling your fan base, Hey, we're trying to win now. And then you go off and you sign Tatis to that big deal. And obviously they give Manny what they gave Manny. They give Eric Hosmer what they gave him. But then from there you go out and you make smart moves. You sign Austin Nola, you bring him into the fray. You go out and you go get jerks and Profar. You know, these moves that help not only with depth, but they're also moves that are meant to balance at the clubhouse, a bunch of young guys, and also they're good players. You know, these are, you know, Jerickson Profar doesn't get a lot of props for, for the, you know, being a good switch hitter, you know, playing, you know, playing the fundamentals the way that he does. And, you know, kind of like another guy that doesn't get those props, Andrew Simmons, that dude doesn't get the props for how good of a fielder he is. So, I mean, they, they went out and, and I feel like they balanced out their roster in a good way. I still think the Dodgers are the better team, you know, overall top to bottom, the Dodgers are the better team, but the Padres are definitely going to put some pressure onto the Dodgers going into the next season. But, you know, as, as we look around uh, and, and we wrap up this episode, wanted to give a big shout out to, uh, he's not on social media a lot, but BD, Brian Dozier, uh, retiring former Dodger, uh, it, you know, famously was traded by the, uh, to the Dodgers and struggled a little bit, but then he went off and, uh, and, and he won the uh, speaking of devil's magic won a ring with the nationals and, uh, and, and he's, he's calling it a career after nine seasons, dude, dude could ball. I, I know, uh, I, I do remember when the Dodgers acquired him, it was a big deal. How, how did you feel at the time when the Dodgers acquired him? I thought it was a big deal too. And I was disappointed that he didn't, you know, he wasn't producing those 2015 all-star numbers that he produced for the Minnesota Twins. But uh, to me, again, it just speaks to I, why I feel major league uh, playing baseball is the hardest sport. You know, I just, you have milliseconds to decide whether you're going to hit a ball and it's coming at you at a hundred miles per hour and you can be an all-star one year. And then after nine years, you're, you're done because you just can't play anymore. And, and I, I, we don't know if it's, he's retiring because of injuries. We, we don't know. I mean, but his level of play the last few years, uh, he hasn't been able to get back to that all-star level. And what's sad is he's falling one year short from the magic 10 year mark that I think every major league baseball player dreams of. So, but Hey, the guy got to play major league baseball for nine years and he won a world series which is, you know, something that a lot of major leaguers don't get a chance to do, you know, play in a World Series, let alone win a World Series. So congratulations to Brian Dozier on, on, on his career. And, uh, yeah, it's, again, baseball is, baseball is hard. So it's easy for us to sit here and say, this guy sucks and that guy knowing that and, and i hope that whenever anybody listens to this podcast when i if i i try not to say that someone sucks because i know that they're 10 times better than i am but <laughs> you you forget about that you know as a fan you forget about that you want them to be successful but this is a sport where if you 
you know, fail seven out of 10 times, you're considered really, really good. This is a sport that it consists of failure. So for him to be at the major league level for nine years is quite an accomplishment. Sometimes I forget that you guys look through the lens of the fan and I don't, and I have to remind myself <laughs> of that when we have conversations. Uh, one, one thing about Dozier, I did read that, uh, that he, he essentially fell out of love with the game uh, because it was, you know, he felt time it was to move on, but because he was at home a lot with his family during the pandemic. So he basically said that the COVID thing is the worst thing that ever happened to us because I got to be home and be a dad and all that stuff. So, you know what? Hey, respect. You put your family above everything. You made a little bit of money and by a little bit, I mean a lot and you won a championship. So, I mean, Hey, you know, more power to you. I'm, I'm you know grateful for him to call it a career and, and he's going out healthy and on his own terms. And what more do you want? So, you know, congratulations to UBD. Uh, one fun thing about him, dude is taller than, uh, than Dustin Pedroia without cleats. Wow. That's, yeah. that's like Muggsy like, Bugs. That's Muggsy Bugs level, right? Legit taller than, 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 than Pedroia without cleats. I think, I think Pedroia, I think is five, eight, five, nine ish without cleats and, and Dozier is like five ten. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know what, dude had a good I would say yeah, more, the more, you know, segment right there by Alonzo. Thank you. Absolutely. And obviously Dozier has more hair. No, no, not, no, no, no cap dusty. I'm, you know, just keeping it honest. But uh, you know what? You had a great career. Thank you for your time with the Dodgers as well. You know, can't uh, can't complain about that. And you're going out healthy, so more power to you. But on that note, happy trails to us too for the week. Thank you again for tuning into another episode of the Bleed Los podcast. Uh, thank you for uh, for taking time to listen to us rant about how we're never going to have Rob Manfred on this podcast. <laughs> please uh, please subscribe to uh, to said podcast. Follow us on Twitter. Um, at Dodgers beat and our Twitter handles are there. And, uh, Oh, you know what? Actually I take that back. We're not going to edit. You know why? Because we need to end with one thing. We had a question this week that we totally forgot about. Uh, that was on Twitter and we're going to answer it because I would feel like a complete and total douche if we don't answer that because someone actually took time to answer our tweet. So, uh, Roger will always throw up on the Twitter machine. If you have questions for us and there was a question this week and that question was, let me open it because I was already moving on to uh, wrap up the show. So that's fake news. I think, Sorry. I think Babyface has it. Do you have it, Babyface? I do. What is a Babyface? It is. Let me pull it up. Uh, I think the question was who on the Dodgers needs to have a monster season? Uh, which, which position? Yeah, which position player and pitcher uh, need to have a monster season? That's a sentence by David Fernandez. Thank you for the question, David. Sorry that we almost blew, uh, we almost steamrolled you over that, my bad. Uh, we got excited. Um, that's a good question. So I think as far as position players go, I think it's Justin Turner. Uh, I think JT needs to uh, justify that contract, if that makes sense, especially with him wanting four years. Um, so I think it would be JT. And then if there's like a, a 1A, 1B situation, if Gavin Lux is the, the starting second baseman, I think it needs to be him. Um, because if, if he's, if both, if, if all of those guys are able to get going and gone, and I'm sorry, and Gavin is hitting, uh, then that obviously takes some of the pressure off of JT and Corey Seager. So, you know, I, if there's a one, a one B for position players, I'd say that, uh, for pitchers, I think it's Tony Gonsolin in part because of his struggles in the postseason last year. Um, you know, you need, you needs to essentially step up if you will. Um, so I, I would go Tony Gonsolin with that one. You know, for me, I position player, I'm going to go with Corey Seager. 
I think Corey Seager, not only because this is going to be a free agent year, he's, he's going to walk. Um, I think last year we saw when he is the hottest hitter in that lineup, it just makes it a very dangerous lineup. And he's proven that he can actually carry the team. If Corey Seager has a huge season, I think it means that the Dodgers will be successful. But more importantly, it means that he stayed healthy this whole season. And I think if he has a good season, it'll make it easier for the Dodgers to decide, okay, we need to re-sign him. If he struggles, I think it's going to be a real, you know, quandary for the Dodgers. All right, do we want to commit this kind of money to a guy who's up and down? So... My pick is Corey Seager for the pitchers. Um, I'm going to go with Julio Urias because, I, and, and I say this because I think if Julio stays healthy, uh, if he has a monster season, it's because he stayed healthy. And because if he stays healthy going into the playoffs, we have a Swiss Army knife. We have a guy that we can throw in the rotation, but more importantly, we know we have a guy that we can throw in the bullpen if we absolutely need to. I think it's how the Red Sox beat us in 2018 along with many other reasons why the red sox beat us in 2018 but being able to have that versatility where you can just throw a guy no matter what situation whether to start a game or out of the bullpen you know we saw Bumgarner do it for the giants i i think health is going to be the most important thing for this dodger team to be able to defend their world series championship damn it sounds good to say that <laughs> and what's a you one or roger i'm sorry I think uh, Bellinger, Bellinger needs to have a big season this year to kind of justify, you know, his uh, his MVP from a couple of years ago. He had a down year last year. And, you know, he's ranked number 10th on MLB Network as a 10th player in the game right now. So he needs a big season. He needs to bounce back and show up, put those big numbers up again. You know, be great to see an MVP type year again. But, you know, you know, if he gets his 30 bombs, you know, 100 RBIs, I think, you know, that's a great year for Bellinger. And I think that we need to see that. Uh, and on the pitching side, uh, I'm going to go with Bauer. I mean, you know, biggest contract he's got to put up this year. So, you know, he's, you know, he's a self-proclaimed Mickey, uh, Mickey Mouse Cy Young award winner from last year. So I think this year was a full season. He's got to put up some good numbers up there and, you know, maybe repeat his Cy Young. Um, so that'd be my pick for pitcher. Uh, one last note on Mr. Trevor Bauer. He had the, uh, the highest rated uh, curveball and fastball in all of baseball last year. So it's going to be interesting to see him obviously, you know, showing up and, and having the pressure of that deal with the Dodgers uh, going into 2021. So now that we have covered that question, and again, thank you to uh, the, 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 the individual that sent us that my bad for steamrolling David. through that. David, thank you, David. Uh, please always send us uh, questions, concerns, complaints. If you want to report us, that's cool too. Uh, by all means, Dodgers beat on Twitter and uh, you'll find our Twitter handles there. So you can follow us as well. We thank you again uh, for checking into another episode of the bleed Los podcast, but until next week, we will see you down the road. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.